The loudest alarm clock, the most inspiring motivation speaker, even a world-ending earthquake, can do nothing to get a tired, overwhelmed, sad soul out of bed. What all of them can't do, a humble, gentle book can. Hi, my name is Terence and I'm your host for Reading and Readers, a podcast where I review Christian books for you. Today, I review on Getting Out of Bed, The Burden and Gift of Living by Alan O. Noble, 120 pages published by InterVarsity Press in April 2023. It's available in Amazon Kindle for $14.99. If not for this podcast, I never would have come across this gem. Last year, I reviewed The Care of Souls by Harold Sankville. Good book. Check out my review. I then followed Sangbale in Twitter. Then, in March this year, Sangbale tweeted and brought to my attention Alan Noble's new book. In that tweet, I listened to Noble read his introduction. As soon as it came out, I got out of bed, I got out my wallet, I got out my device to read it. What a great chapter. I shared the chapter. There's another great chapter. And I shared that chapter too. And I had to stop myself before I shared the entire book, copying the whole book and getting arrested for copyright infringement. The book is so good that the professor of psychology at Fuller Theological Seminary, Xiang Yang Tan, endorses the book by writing, I quote, Alan Noble has given us another great gift in writing this short, honest and deeply moving book on the powerful witness to the goodness of life and of God of simply getting out of bed each day, especially when we experience mental suffering or affliction. It contains many gems of wisdom and profound truth, such as living one day at a time, one step at a time, accepting God's love and grace and the help of others, including mental health professionals and lay people and reaching out to others in community. Highly recommended. End quote. Now, if the professor of psychology at the seminary has said that, I might as well end the review here, right? And you already know what I think of the book, but um, please stay so that I can tell you more about the book and more about why I like the book so much. This might be the book you never knew you needed to read. Be honest with yourself. There are days when you don't want to get out of bed, and maybe that's today. And you don't have to have a diagnosed, debilitating disease to feel that way. You could have something unnamed, maybe even something trivial in the eyes of the people around you. But it's weighing heavily on you. It's nothing that you need to see a doctor for, or at least that's what you think. It's just the everyday stress and pressure of life. But sometimes it can just be too much. And you just want to stay in bed, hide under the covers, and hope that the storm will pass. Well, bring a torchlight and take this book with you. Listen to Alan Noble. He knows what he's talking about. Alan Noble is a professor, and professors know their stuff. 
He is an author of many books and articles, and authors tend to know their stuff too. And I'll have you know that his dissertation title was Manifestations of Transcendence in 20th Century American Fiction. F. Scott Fitzgerald, Carson McCullers, J.D. Salinger, and Cormac McCarthy. Wait, what? Did you just say F. Scott Fitzgerald? American fiction? Yeah! Alan Noble is the Associate Professor of English at Oklahoma Baptist University. He has two other books on Amazon, You Are Not Your Own, Belonging to God in an Inhuman World, and the other book is Disruptive Witness, Speaking Truth in a Distracted Age. So his latest book, his third book, is on mental suffering. I know what you're thinking. If you have a plumbing problem, you find a plumber. If you have a car problem, you ask for a mechanic. If you have a mental problem, you need a mental health professional. So what can one get from an English professor? Well, one hopes for a well-written book. And we have that. It's not highbrow literature. It's eight chapters of soul food written for the common man. For the common man has a common ailment. Now listen to this, I quote, We have many terms for the different types of mental affliction that humans experience. Depression, anxiety, clinical depression, melancholy, despair, low self-esteem, trauma, lethargy, boredom, guilt, lack of ambition, laziness, mourning, a failure to launch, exhaustion, burnout, mental illness, mental disorder, and so on. We have a massive medical field devoted to treating the problem through medication and therapy. We have a million self-help books and life coaches and social media mindset influencers to inspire us. But here's the thing. Each morning, it's you. Each morning, you must choose to get out of bed or not. All the medication and cognitive therapy and latest research and self-care in the world can't replace your choice. This decision can be aided by these resources but never replaced by them, which means that you have to have an answer to a fundamental question. Why get out of bed? Or, more bluntly, why live? End quote. Now, there are so many ways to answer that question, why live? You can just take any person, real or fictional, and imagine asking that question to him or her. Some will dismiss it, some go and get drunk, some seize the day, while others hide in their beds. Why live is the great existential question, and Noble answers it in a series of essays or chapters in this book. Now, I don't want to quote too much from the book because it's only a hundred page long. So I'll try to give you my impression of the book without spoiling your potential enjoyment of it. One way to describe um, this book and the way I, it has impressed upon me is to compare it to the Bible's different genres. For The Bible has historical narratives, so you have stories. Now, this book is not telling a story of the author. It's not telling the story of his struggles with mental suffering, even though he has hinted that he has suffered um, mental suffering himself. So it's nice to read a book 
where someone does not feel the need to put himself in the book to make a point. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but just uh, the novelty of this uh, experience is, is refreshing. The Bible also have epistles, letters written to the person or to the church. Now, Noble writes in a conversational style, uh, not in a dry, detached voice of the lecturer. And uh, like Paul, Peter, and the epistle writers, Noble's intentions are noble. He writes for the good of the readers, and he is trying to convey um, truth to help the people lead better lives. However, if we were to try to fit this book to a biblical genre, I would choose the wisdom literature. It's like a cross maybe between Ecclesiastes and the book of Job, the quintessential book on suffering. Generally, um, the episodes start from theological truths and move towards praxis, how the believer lives according to the word. If the epistles are top-down, then one way of thinking about this is that the Ecclesiastes and Job are bottom-up. The readers meet them where they are hurting, where they are confounded, where they are suffering. And the writers of Ecclesiastes and Job, they bring out uh, human observations, sometimes flawed human observations, into the discourse. Now, God and his revelation are still above human thoughts. But you can see in the text people grappling with how to make sense of the word and the world. And uh, that's uh, the reason why I bring up the biblical genres is because I want to show how the Bible itself validates an honest wrestling with the word and the world. We know that the gospel is the answer to all our suffering. Convinced of this great truth, some think that the only way to speak life to another is to preach and preach and preach until the pain is exorcised away. Alan Noble does not start at Genesis, then goes somehow to the Gospels, and then to end at Revelation. And think about it, how ironic it would be to comfort a suffering friend by preaching from Job. Job, of course, asked his preachy friends to be quiet, for that would be wisdom. Unlike Job's friends, Alan Noble has better bedside manners. Whether you rely on psychologists or psychiatrists or are thinking of suicide or desire to seek attention, he does not blame or accuse. He starts from where you are and then he listens, he talks and he gradually conveys to you um, the truth that you need to hear. This is a safe book for sensitive souls. Another unique strand of this book is the American fiction aspect. For a book on suffering, Noble does not tell Job's story. He mentions Job once and assumes you know about it. Instead, Noble tells us the story from Cormac McCarthy's book, The Road. In chapter 3, Noble writes that things can get so bad that, I quote, it feels rational to give up on life. And while friends will remind you that you are wrong, that is the illness talking and life is worth the living, it is difficult to trust others because it is you who is suffering, not them. Then Noble writes, 
I quote at length this part. This is precisely the situation the nameless wife in Cormac McCarthy's novel, The Road, finds herself in. By every rational, materialist calculation, suicide is the most ethical and appropriate response to a world of evil and suffering. She, her husband, and their young son are alive at the end of civilization. The sun is darkened by ash. Nothing grows. Everything and everyone has died or is dying. Every day brings a new horror. There is every reason to believe that even if they manage to fight off starvation and the elements, they will eventually be captured, raped, and eaten alive by cannibals. When she lays out the case for suicide to her husband, he can offer no rebuttal. Because there is none. The facts are the facts. Staying alive will lead to greater agony. When you no longer have hope for a pleasurable life, when you have every expectation of increased suffering, suicide is logical. Unless the reason we choose to go on living is something greater than pleasure or freedom from pain or even hope for a better tomorrow. End quote. I could stop here, but that would be an unbearable cliffhanger. And you should, in this episode, get some resolution, a partial one at least, because for the full resolution, you would have to read Nobo's book or read the McCarthy novel. So let me just continue for a little bit more. Noble writes, I quote, And yet her husband refuses to join her, and he prevents her from taking their son with her. Despite the persuasiveness of his wife's argument, despite all the evidence that seems to confirm her decision, and the man and his son are very nearly caught by cannibals at least twice after she dies, the father chooses to keep his son alive. McCarthy forces us, through the father, to grapple with the question at the heart of life. Why is life worth all this agony? And while the father cannot verbally respond to his wife's argument that suicide is the least harmful response to suffering, his embodied answer is powerful and is validated by the ending of the novel. End quote. Now, thankfully, I didn't have to read the novel to know how it resolves. Through this book, Noble has kind of spoiled the ending, but he must reveal it because he uses that story as one of the vehicles to explore the question of why live, and Noble must give us an answer or risk the wrath of his readers. And so he does. And his answer is familiar to Christians. It came packaged differently. The journey was a different uh, route from the one we are used to, but it is familiar to anyone who reads the Bible. And yet, even though we know it, the truth remains comforting, lovely, motivating, sufficient for us to get out of bed, to do the next thing, to worship God in the small act of living. Before I end this review, I do have one criticism, and it's the only one I have. And I will even say up front that it's a difference in semantics. Noble uses a particular word with a particular meaning, while I use the same word in a different way. Otherwise, Noble and I would be in total agreement, and I cannot imagine him disagreeing with me on this point. I just have to say this because some readers may... Uh, I have to say this point, say this criticism, this potential 
um, disagreement because some readers may walk away with a wrong understanding of what the Bible teaches on usefulness. Now, let me read and you try to detect what I see is the problem. This comes from chapter 8, where he wants to end the book by assuring the reader that God's love is not conditional on your usefulness. I quote, Usefulness is the sole criterion for the world, the flesh, or the devil. But you have no use value to God. You can't. There is nothing He needs. You can't cease being useful to God because you were never useful to begin with. That's not why He created you. And it's not why He continues to sustain your existence in the world. His creation of you was gratuitous, prodigal. He made you just because He loves you and for His own good pleasure. End quote. If Noble was only attacking usefulness as defined by the world, the flesh, and the devil, then we have nothing to disagree. I would cheer him on. But when he then goes on to say that there is no aspect or sense of our usefulness to God, I say there is a, that is a marked contradiction of what the scripture teaches. 2 Timothy 2 verse 20 to 21 reads, Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. End quote. I cannot imagine Alan Noble rejecting the clear teaching of Scripture, so I just want to emphasize here that he is directing his fire against our need to feel useful, to be useful, in order to be of worth, in order to be worthy of living. And this is the deadly mind virus that is infecting the people in our age. It harms people created in God's image, people, the old, the sick, and the depressed. However, despite even though there is bad usefulness, a worldly usefulness, there is such a thing as godly usefulness. And godly usefulness is not uh, preaching, serving, church planting, teaching, helping, doing whatever deeds, great and small. Because what then can we say to people who can't do any of them? We have merely listed all the things they cannot do and made, have made them far worse than they were before. No different from the worldly teaching. So we have to read 2 Timothy carefully, receiving it to teach, reprove, correct, and train us for righteousness. And we see that what is needed to be useful is to be cleansed from what is dishonorable. That is what the text says. And later, in chapter 3, we also read that what we need to be equipped for every good work is not our strength, our intelligence, our charisma, our beauty, our youth, our jobs, our families. What you need, what you need to be equipped for every good work, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, is Scripture. And if I define usefulness in these terms, which I believe is how the Bible defines godly usefulness, then Noble and I are in total agreement because all the advice that he gives, all the reason that he gives to carry on the 
burden and gift of living are rooted in Scripture. In a way, he is using Scripture to cleanse us from dishonorable thoughts, dishonorable thoughts we have of God and of ourselves. And he does so so that we can worship God for his goodness and the goodness that he created in us, all of us, you and me. As I said earlier, Noble and I are not in disagreement. I sincerely hope so. But the way he explains usefulness, which only considers worldly usefulness and does not consider biblical or godly usefulness, I think it is something that needs uh, to be pointed out so that uh, readers are not led astray. In conclusion, this is a book that I wished I had read when I was younger, going through my own existential demons. It's a book I am glad to read now, for there have been days, and there will be days, when I would say, the bed is my refuge, when I should say, God is my refuge. And having lived life a bit more, and hearing and knowing people who go through suffering, despite what they look like uh, outwards, okay, how they look like on the outside, I share Alan Noble's confidence that, I quote, suffering, even profound mental affliction and personal tragedy is a normal part of human life, end quote. So it is normal. Um, it's as a question of degree. So some of us suffer more than others. And since suffering is here to stay, will you not consider some wisdom to face it? This is a Reading and Readers review on Getting Out of Bed. The Burden and Gift of Living by Alan O. Noble 120 pages published by InterVarsity Press in April 2023 It's available in Amazon Kindle for $14.99 My next book review will be What's Your Worldview? An Interactive Approach to Life's Big Questions by James N. Anderson This book won the World Magazine 2014 Popular Theology Book of the Year. It's free for May from Faith Life, so please get it before the deal is off. I have the book, I have finished the book, but the book is so good that I bought 10 hard copies just to give them away. I can't wait to tell you more about this interactive approach to life's big questions. Until then, bye-bye.